Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. And some people would say, well, what's the purpose of writing this book? Did Moses just write this book to give us a diary and a documentation of daily affairs that went on in the desert daily, you know, daily in the morning, what they did in the evening? And the answer to that is no. It is not written to give us just a documented detail of what went on in the desert. Actually, in chapters 1 through 20 is a 40-year period. So that means you have 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Chapter 20 takes us to in the 40th year. So we understand that everything that is recorded are those particular entities that Moses wants us to know went, uh, occurred in the desert. And if we look at this contextually, the bottom line is, is that the focus of 40 years in the desert is the glory of God. That's the whole purpose. The whole purpose of writing this book is to teach us that which constrains the glory and that which restrains the glory. So the whole context in the book of Numbers is to teach us how to bring heaven down to earth. How many of you want to learn how to bring heaven down to earth? You want to bring the presence of God. Okay, let's just look at this for a moment and let's go. Now, remember, we have been teaching on the secret of the Aleph Tav. The secret of the Aleph Tav. You may say, what is that? The first letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. The last letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Tav. And Jesus said in the book of Revelation, in the 22nd chapter, in the 13th verse, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We see this again in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. I am Alpha and Omega. And again, we see it in verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega. If we translate that into Hebrew, we have I am Aleph and I am Tav. Now, I want you to understand, beloved saints, He's not just saying, I'm the beginning of the alphabet and the end of it. I want you to understand the Hebrew language is the language of concepts. And so when we see that Jesus says, I am Aleph and I am Tav, the Bible itself begins with the letter Bet, the second letter. So in concept, Aleph is before all things began. Because the Bible says, Bereshit, Bereshit bara et Elohim hashamayim et va'et ha'aretz, meaning in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But we need to see, dear people of God, that that creating of the heaven and the earth. Uh, when the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, we need to understand that the Bible is going to be giving to us a revelation of what happened. In the beginning, only the Bible. In the beginning, but Aleph is before the beginning. So Aleph in concept is a letter that teaches us 
before the beginning, pre-existent, self-existent. So when Jesus said, I am Aleph and I am Tav, he is saying, I am divinity. I am before the beginning. And Tav is a letter that goes on and on and on. Now, why is this so spiritually significant? Because all throughout the Bible, we have over 9,612 uh, times Aleph Tav is used in the Hebrew scriptures. And it's a non-translatable word. In other words, the Aleph is together with the Tav. So you have this non-translatable grammatical point. And what it actually does is it points to the object. And in the book of Exodus, wherever we see it, we see that the tabernacle was designed with an Aleph Tav design. And we see when we are studying the Aleph Tav, we see a revelation of Jesus Christ. So I want us tonight to go first to Exodus chapter 25, and I want us to look at verses 8 and 9 so we can understand some of the attributes of God's glory. What is the glory of God? Why does it descend on the earth? Notice the Bible says in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, and let them build me, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So the purpose of the making of the tabernacle was that God would dwell among them. That means that heaven would come down to earth. Say this with me, bringing heaven down to earth. Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them, meaning I'm going to come down from heaven and dwell, tabernacle on earth. So the dwelling place of God would be a habitation for God's presence. So the focus is not really the tabernacle. The focus is the presence of God. That's the purpose of it. So we actually see the purpose of being released out of Egypt was to build the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was not complete till the glory comes. It. And the purpose of uh, Israel building that tabernacle was to bring heaven down to earth. Say this with me, bringing heaven down to earth. Okay, so now when we look at the book of Numbers, we see that heaven has come down to earth in the tabernacle. And we are going to see, let's go first to Numbers chapter, uh, chapter 9 and beginning in verse 15. Numbers chapter 9, verse 15, we are going to see some supernatural, powerful principles about the glory of God in Numbers chapter 9 looking at verse 15 through 23. And I will read it for you really quickly, beloved saints. And the Bible says in uh, chapter nine, looking at verse 15, and on the day the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And there was upon the tabernacle as if it were the appearance of fire until morning. Say this with me, the appearance of fire until morning. Okay, so the glory of God had a very specific visible presence. It was a cloud by day and the appearance of fire, notice it says, until morning. So what the Torah is actually doing here is that Moses is using deliberate language that's going to take us back to the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, the sixth chapter, there is a commandment that is given concerning the altar and the fire that the fire was to be burning all night until morning. 
So it uses the same language in, in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 6. It uses the very same language that the fire shall be burning all night until morning so that we understand that the appearance of the glory of God is connected to the fire that was to be burning all night until morning. So we know the spiritual significance of the fire was not just to keep the people warm. The spiritual significance of the fire is connected to sacrifice. I hope you're hearing this. Let's look at that reference so we can understand how to bring heaven down to earth. How many of you want to start being able to bring heaven down to earth. All right, looking at uh, verse six, um, uh, let's go to, is this Leviticus? Leviticus chapter uh, six, verse nine. Leviticus six, verse nine. Leviticus six, verse nine says, command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar. What? All night until when? Until morning. Do you see that? All night until morning. Now let's go back to Numbers chapter 9. And we are going to see the same language. It's not put there by accident. It's put there very deliberately because Moses wants to take us to the burnt offering that burnt all night. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Notice it says there was an appearance of fire until morning. So we have the same words. We have the same language. We have this, uh, the similar expression. Do you see that? All right, so why is there a similar expression? Because the glory of the Lord is related to the sacrifice. All right, say it with me. The glory of the Lord is related to the sacrifice. So let's understand what sacrifice is all about. Let's look at this word sacrifice. In the Hebrew language, the word sacrifice is the word korban. Say it with me, korban. A korban is a sacrifice of any sort. So that means even if you, if whatever you do, Jesus actually used this word korban. He said when he was rebuking the Pharisees, he was uh, correcting them about the commandment, love your, you shall honor your father and your mother. And he said that you say that the gold of the temple, uh, your, that the gold, you do not obey the law to honor your father and your mother because you say that the gift is korban. What does that mean? That that meant that in the time of Jesus, that if you um, were going to take care of your father and your mother, that that was the fulfillment when they were older of honor your father and your mother. But if you wanted to wheedle your way out of that commandment and make it look holy as if you were doing something very righteous, but not honoring your father and your mother in the first century, you could say, my money is korban, meaning it's set aside for the sacrifice of the temple. So th that means I can give it anytime I want, even when I'm on my deathbed and thus be able to get out of the commandment, honor your father and your mother. So korban is any kind of sacrifice. Korban is the sacrifice of oneself. Korban is anything that you give to God. So why do we need to even know what sacrifice means in Hebrew? Why is that even important? Isn't it just a translation of the word? Why do we even know that it's important? When we look at the Hebrew root, 
That's when we understand what sacrifice means. And the Hebrew root of this word, korban, is the word karba. Say it with me, karba. And karba means to draw near. It means to draw near. Say it with me, to draw near. So the emphasis is not the sacrifice. The emphasis is drawing near. So that means every time there is a core bond, the presence of God draws near. We not only draw near to God, but God draws near to us. Hello, somebody. That means we constrain the power of God over something when there is a sacrifice. So you say, why do we need to even fast? Is that really important? And the answer to that is one of the wonderful ways and whys we fast is to sacrifice. Why? So that we can constrain God's presence over a request. Because the secret is bringing heaven down to earth. So that means, hallelujah, let's just say somebody needs a special type of ministry and there's, uh, you prayed and prayed and prayed for them, but there's demonic spirits involved. One of the ways that you can administer the presence of God is through sacrifice, through either sacrificing for that person, doing something very sacrificial in the name of God, in the name of love, and that brings the presence of God down from heaven down to earth. Are you with me? This is why God honors sacrifice. This is how the presence of God comes from heaven down to earth. That's why the Bible tells us that the glory of the Lord had the appearance of fire until morning because God wanted us to see that the glory actually has the appearance and it appeared because why there is a connection between heaven and earth through the sacrifice are you with me if you are say amen all right so let's go back to numbers chapter 9 and we see that these are the attributes of god's glory we are seeing that the bible says as we see here in numbers chapter 9 verse 15 the fire and the tabernacle was as it were fire until morning verse 16 and so it was always that the cloud by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then the children of Israel journeyed. And when the place of the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched in their tents. Notice, at the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of the Lord they pitched. And as long as the cloud abode on the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. But when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And it was so that when the cloud was a few days on the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents. And according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And it was so when the cloud abode from even to morning and the cloud was taken up in the morning, they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, when the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. So whether it was two days or a month or a year, the cloud tarried on the tabernacle and remaining thereof, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. But when the cloud was taken up, they journeyed at the commandment of the Lord, they rested in their tents and at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. Hallelujah. And they kept the commandment of the Lord 
at the commandments of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Why is Moses repeating himself so many times? All right, first of all, he wants us to understand something about the glory of the Lord and how the glory continued to remain in the camp of Israel. First of all, we do not in any way see who's giving the commandment of the Lord because at this point, Moses is not speaking. The Bible says the children of Israel obeyed the commandment of the Lord. Go, go back up to verse 17. The Bible says, or actually verse 18, at the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of the Lord, they rested and pitched in their tents. Well, how is that? The Lord is not speaking. We don't have any evidence that the Lord is speaking to Moses and Moses is not commanding here. Moses is not the one that says, okay, journey. Moses is not the one that says, okay, rest. No, Moses is showing us that God is speaking in another form. This is the word, the commandment, word for commandment here is the word peh, which means mouth. So he is actually telling us that God is speaking from his very mouth, but he's not even using words. So that we understand that the commandment of the Lord is being authenticated through the Holy Spirit. That the commandment of the Lord is when the cloud moves, you go. When the cloud stops, you stop. He is actually uh, paralleling the commandment of the Lord with the moving of God. Are you with me? He is comparing the commandment of Moses and the yieldedness of the children of Israel so that they obeyed explicitly. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. And notice, he goes into documented detail. Whether the cloud abode at night, and in the morning moved. Did you know how difficult that would be? That because the tabernacle had to be assembled, it had to be torn down and it had to be reassembled. Each person had to reassemble their tents. So that means the children of Israel, when they were traveling, had to undo their tents. They had to pack everything up and they had to take probably a couple of hours to unpack and to pack. But you see, the Bible is telling us the moment that the cloud moved, they did not delay and say, well, I'll unpack a few more hours we just got here. So I think we'll camp out a few more days. We're just wasting time if we pack up. But no, the Bible is telling us that they obeyed explicitly. And why is the Bible telling us that? Because the children of Israel knew that if they ever lost the glory of God, they could not survive in the wilderness. I'm going somewhere with this. I don't know if anybody here is in a wilderness-like experience. The wilderness is when you have nothing but God. Hallelujah. The wilderness is when every earthly substance has been taken away from you and you have nothing to depend on but the Lord. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Tell your neighbor, I can't afford to miss the move of God. I can't afford not to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. I can't afford to be left behind. Somebody ought to say, I can't reason my way out when God says move. I better move and not use my natural mind to try to figure out and say that this was not very wise for me. I just got here. Now God's telling me to pack it up. I want you to understand that your natural mind can be your greatest enemy. Yeah, 
but being led by the spirit is what's going to bring that glory down. Hallelujah. And so why is Moses expressing to us that the children of Israel were so obedient in this area to the glory of the Lord? Because when the glory of God is present, you see, God's glory is revealed when we need God so desperately. When we have nothing else but him in our lives. The glory becomes a reward. The glory becomes a comfort. The glory becomes the security. The glory becomes a safe haven. The glory becomes a haven of rest. And so we see here that the glory was so precious to the children of Israel. But the book of Numbers is going to tell us how that glory came down and what caused the glory to stay and what caused the glory to depart. Because there were times in the desert that are recorded that the glory lifted off the tabernacle and departed. All right. So first, let's go to Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1, really quickly, first prophetic principle of bringing heaven down to earth. Say this with me, first prophetic principle, bringing heaven down to earth. As that God chose a, a, a total tribe called the Levites. Now, I want you to understand what the Bible is going to do. The Bible is going to, when you see irregular, irregular patterns in the scripture, something that's very out of the ordinary, it's very irregular, that means the author wants you to look at it. That means it's got flashing lights. Look at this. This is something prophetic. This is something very serious. It's personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. Never in the Bible... There is no such thing as the Bible telling us the daily activities of the tribes. You can search from Genesis to Revelation and you will have no information at all of what Judah did. You know Judah went to war, Judah led the battles, but you're not going to get a record of Judah's activity during the day and what their assignments were. You can look from Genesis to Revelation, and you will never find one directive given to the entire tribe of Reuben on what they were to do. You'll never get it. You'll never get a, an explicit set of directions for Issachar, nor will you get an explicit set section of the entire Bible dedicated to the directions that are going to be given to any of the tribes, not Manasseh, not Ephraim. You'll, we'll, get, we'll get some narratives of what happened to them, or we'll get narratives of what occurred in war. But we will not get narratives where God is speaking and directing the tribe from day, daily activity and telling us what they've been appointed to do. No, we will not. The only tribe that we get this daily activity and appointed positions and what their responsibilities are is the tribe of Levi. And why is that? 
First of all, we're going to see that immediately the Bible is introducing the tribe of Levi to us by the concept of separation. We see that the book of Numbers in chapter 1 is going to number all the armies of Israel. But notice verse 48. Verse 48 of Numbers chapter 1 says, in verse 48, the Bible says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, only you will not number the tribe of Levi, neither will you take the sum among the children of Israel. So all the tribes were numbered, but Levi was not allowed to have a national census with the other tribes. Why? Because God is saying the tribe of Levi is separated from the secular. Put your hands up right now and say, if you want to bring the glory of God down from heaven down to earth, you have to be willing to go through the process of being separated unto God. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Amen. That separation, that consecration, and that dedication. And God is saying they're separated from the secular. The secular meaning, there's nothing really secular about the other tribes, but God says what I've given them to do is so distinct and so holy, you can't even number them together. You don't count everybody the same. God is saying there's been certain jobs certain responsibilities that I have given the tribe of Levi that are separated and consecrated, not of this world. Are you with me? So the census itself means not of this world. Put your hands up right now and say, if you're a spiritual Levite, you're not of this world. Say this with me, Holy Spirit, release to me the mantle of a spiritual Levite because I'm not of this world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now you will look and see in chapter 50, but you will appoint, excuse me, verse 50. You will appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony over all of its vessels and over all the things that belong to it. And they will bear the tabernacle and the vessels thereof, and they shall minister unto it and encamp round about the tabernacle. When it sets forward, the Levites will take it down. And when it is to be pitched, the Levites will set it up. And any stranger that comes nigh shall be put to death. So this is a tribe, first of all, that pitched in the presence of God. That means that they're going to live right under the glory cloud in the tabernacle. They're not going to live where the other tribes live. They're going to camp out in the place under the tabernacle because they're a to the tabernacle and their lives of sacrificial service is what is going to constrain the presence of God because why is the Bible going out of its way to teach us so much about the Levites when we get this in no other no other tribe it is to show us that God is saying it is through the Levites that heaven came down to earth it was through the Levites and their sacrificial service that constrained the presence of God over Israel and you when you serve God sacrificially you may not realize this but you have the anointing to bring heaven down to earth through your consecration through your separation through your service to God and somebody ought to say amen are you hearing this tonight if you are say amen okay so they're 
they're specifically anointed to tear down the tabernacle to set it up. This word to set up in the Hebrew language is the word to pitch it. This means that doesn't just mean they're going to set it up in the sense of we know exactly how to do it. We know we can get this thing done in 15 minutes. We can get this thing done in a half hour. Everybody knows their job. And we're just going to set the tabernacle up. That is not what that means. It means to pitch is this word in Hebrew. It's the word nasa, which means to lift it up, to make it higher. And we actually see now this theme, this theme of lifting up throughout the book of Numbers, because the first uh, parsha in the book of Numbers is called Bamadbar, which means the desert. But the second parsha, which begins in Numbers chapter 4 to Numbers chapter 7, is Parsha Naso, which means to set it up or lift it up. To lift it up. What? Lift up what? To lift up the presence, to lift up the atmosphere, to lift up the glory, to lift up the anointing. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And that particular parsha gives us the explicit directions and instructions of how the Levites are to bear the tabernacle when it's torn down on their shoulders, how they are to carry it in the wilderness, how they are to put it on carts, the, the curtains and the boards, but the sanctuary they're to carry on their shoulders. That's why the parsha calls this section to lift up. Because why? When we bear the burden of the anointing, God will teach us how to lift up the presence of God, how to bring it to its highest potential of purpose and power. You know you're a spiritual Levite when God has put within you the anointing, how to raise the power of God to its highest potential and purpose. Hallelujah. Say, we're going to lift it up. Okay, so the first parsha, because the Torah is broken up into sections, so the first parsha is parsha Bamidbar, and then it goes to the fourth chapter. Then the second parsha is parsha Naso, which is the same thing as Nasa, which means to lift up, to pitch it to its highest pinnacle of purpose. And the third parsha is this incredible parsha, which is Beholateka which actually means when you step up, when you step up. So everything is about stepping up and lifting up. I hope somebody's hearing this. Say this with me. When you step up, when you lift up. And so it featured in these three different partiot is the Levites. Because what they are doing is teaching Israel how to step up. And what they are doing is teaching Israel how to lift up the presence of God so that heaven can come down to earth. Somebody ought to say, Lord, tonight I need the anointing to be a spiritual Levite. I want to be able to bring heaven down to earth. I want to be able to step up and I want to be able to lift up the presence no matter what it takes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. So now we have this incredible separation. We have what they've been appointed to do. We have that they're called to live in the presence of God. 
Notice verse 52. The children of Israel were pitching their tents, every man in his own camp. Every man by his own standard. Say it with me, standard. Standard. Ooh, are you getting ready now just for a minute to go into Aleph Tov zone? Say this with me, I want to go into the Aleph Tov zone. Say, I really want to go into where the glory is. I want to go into the mystery of the Messiah. Say, I'd like to know the messianic markers in the text to show me who Jesus really is. How many want to know him greater? Okay. By his own camp, by his own standard. Set with me. By his own camp, by his own standard. Throughout their hosts, say, hosts is a word when this is used in the Bible, it not only means armies, hmm, not only means armies, selection of words are so important in the Bible. The Bible doesn't just use random words. When it says hosts, whew, where else have we heard the word hosts? Haven't we heard hosts with the angels? Hmm. Haven't we heard that word associated with the angels of God? The armies of Israel, the camps of Israel are going to become not just a habitation of angels, but the armies of Israel are going to look like, they're going to look like the hosts of heaven. How's that going to happen? It's really simple the way it is in the Bible. It's not some complicated process. God says smack in the middle of the camp is the tabernacle and the tribe of Levi. Chapter 2 is going to tell us really quickly. We'll go to chapter 2 and I'll tell you the four standards. Because the four standards are related to the angelic hosts. And they are Aleph Tob standards. If you look at Numbers chapter 2, looking at Numbers chapter 2, the Bible doesn't tell us this just so we know it happened. The Bible is going to tell us this because it's extremely important. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, the Bible says in verse 2, every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard with the ensign. See what it says there, with the ensign? If we were to translate that from Hebrew to English, to English to Hebrew, do you know what that would say? Aleph Vav Tav. The standard is Aleph Vav Tav. Vav is a conjunction which means and. Aleph and Tav. The signs. Notice. The children of Israel shall pitch every man by his own standard with the Aleph and Tav of their father's house. Far off from the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. So first of all, the Bible wants us to know they're nowhere near the Levites. Levites are in the middle and the other camps are way distanced. See that? But now there's going to be four corners to the camp. You're going to have the east side, the west side, the north, and the south. Four directions, north, south, east, and west, where the standards are to be set. Each standard is a flag, if you will. It's a banner. 
It's a banner of one of the major tribes with three tribes underneath it. Notice what we get in verse 3. The first tribe that is mentioned is Judah. On the east side toward the running of the uh, rising of the sun shall be the standard of the camp of Judah. What is this standard camp of the camp? It's a lion. So near this flag of the lion are two other tribes that the Bible is going into documented detail to tell us is going to be under the banner of Judah. That is the Easterns, uh, the Eastern uh, standard. Then we have, beloved saints, I'm going somewhere with this. Then we have in Numbers chapter 2, looking at verse 10. Then the Bible says, on the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben. Reuben and all of their armies. So now we are seeing underneath Reuben will be three other tribes as well. The, the flag or the banner of Reuben is a man. So you have, you have a lion and you have a man. Got it? Let's look at the third standard. The third standard that is raised up in these four corners, I'm going somewhere with this, is, is, is Ephraim, verse 18. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim. Ephraim's banner was an ox. All right, and the last one is found in verse 25. The standard of the camp of Dan uh, shall be on the north side and their armies. The banner for Dan was an eagle. So what do you have? You have four standards. You have three tribes under each one. They're in the four corners, and in the middle is the, the tabernacle. So this means that the armies of Israel are to be like a rectangular tabernacle. Okay, but I want you to see what it's going to look like because you see the same thing in the book of Ezekiel, only in the book of Ezekiel you don't see human beings. In the book of Ezekiel you see the same banners, but you see them in angelic species. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. I want you to see this in Ezekiel chapter 1 because I'm going somewhere with this. Hallelujah. Ezekiel chapter 1. Hallelujah. Is the likenesses of these angelic creatures. Notice it says in verse 10. The likeness. The likeness of their faces. They four had the face of a man. That's Reuben. The face of a lion, that's Judah. Uh, the face of an ox, notice it's the exact, the exact, the exact positions that they are in in the army. The face of an ox, that's Ephraim. And the face of an eagle, that is Dan. Now you may say, what in the world do these faces of these angelic creatures have to do with the positioning of the camp of Israel? Because these angelic creatures also were in fours. They were also like a four-cornered, like almost like the armies of Israel looked when they were traveling through the wilderness so that one reflects the other. One is a heavenly, the other is an earthly. And we see that the earth 
earthly is the reflection of the heavenly. And what is the heavenly? The heavenly is the chariot of God. The heavenly is the very forces that carry the glory of God. That these angelic species from heaven are assigned to the glory of God. And they move in the glory of God. So that we see that the glory of God on earth must also reflect that glory that's in heaven. Are you with me? And what is the Aleph Tov design of this? The Aleph Tov design is the face of a man is Jesus Christ. The tribe, uh, the, the lion is he is from the lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The ox is the sacrifice. And the eagle tells us when he comes to earth. You see, I want you to understand, the eagle is a non-kosher animal. The eagle, you always wonder, how can an angel take on the face of an eagle when it's non-kosher? It is because the Bible is telling us something about the time the Messiah is going to come. Because the symbol of the Roman Empire was an eagle. So that we would understand that this man, this man who is going to bring the glory, glory of God down to earth. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice, who brings glory down from heaven to earth. Are you with me, saints? Stand to your feet. Raise up your hands toward heaven. Moving in the glory. Moving in the glory. God is bringing his people to a place. See, the more you realize the tabernacle and everything in the wilderness, everything's Aleph Tov. Everything has the image of Jesus Christ. Even to the way the tribes are positioned. When God looked down from heaven, he can't send his glory unless he sees his son. Are you with me? That's why everything in the tabernacle had to have the likeness of Aleph and Tov. If you've been with us, you understand that even the Ark of the Covenant had to have an Aleph Tov design on the mercy seat. And even the menorah had to have an Aleph Tov design in the way it was made it was hammered and even the altar had to have an aleph Tov design because incense was offered the smells of the messiah's robes everything in the tabernacle had to look like the aleph and the top it had a resemblance that's why the bible says see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mount the word pattern is the word similitude it is the word likeness it is the word um it is the word resemblance hallelujah so everything had to have a resemblance of jesus who is the aleph and the top are you with me if you are say amen Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed 
or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.